Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, we all have the power to change, but today's guest says we all have the power to flex as well. Sue Ashford is the chair of management organization group at Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. She also is the author of the upcoming book, The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. It comes out on October the 5th. Sue, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you. So using flexing for your title is interesting because we most see people do it's harder, fast kinds of things. You can think of flexing your muscles as your students might use it. Flexing is slang for showing off. Okay. <laughs> that's what I that's what I learned when I started go looking it up. Yeah, your definition is different. Explain what you mean by the flex. Yeah, I have to say I only found out about the kind of more street version and meaning of flex late in the process. Who knew? But I don't mean that. Flexing has two meanings. One is for companies. Companies can do leadership development and training in a very different, much more flexible way. And I think that's needed now. If we want more leaders at more levels, we need to think of a different way of developing them. And one is by getting people more involved in a way of development that allows them to pick it up when they need it, put it down when they're busy doing other things, pick it back up and use it in a way that's right for them. So there is a flexing charge to companies like we could be a lot more flexible in how we develop leaders. And then for individuals, I think we're all kind of in this, everything's changing rapidly and the world is very complex. There's a lot that we need to cope with. And being agile is part of that. And flexing is part of that. Can't just keep doing everything the same way. You need to be able to do it different tomorrow for this group. And again, the next day for another. And that involves learning how to both take on new ways of being, skills, et cetera, and dropping some that aren't working, both of which can be hard. Haven't companies always been kind of flexible, at least the good ones? And I heard you use the word agile because agile was a term we heard a lot in the 80s, 90s, all the way up into 2000. But aren't great companies flexible? Well, I think they may be flexible in their strategies. We could debate that. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how they think about developing their leaders. Most companies use an approach where they differentiate what they call the high potential people. So they take the top 15% and say, these are the people that we're going to differentiate and say, these are leaders, and we're going to invest in them. Used to be they sent them off to classes to learn stuff. Now, with this idea that people learn a lot of what it means to lead from the experiences they have, companies said, great, we'll take our high potential people and we'll be careful what experiences we put them in. There's two problems with it. One is there's some research that says they're not very good at picking. The top 15% are not actually the people that emerge to be great leaders. So that's a problem. The second problem is the message that it sends to the rest of the people. It says, you're not, you're not expected to lead. We don't think you really can do it. And if you need more leaders at more levels, I think you need a process that invites more people into that growth. 
Yeah, and I've been in Fortune 100 companies as an officer, and I think we actually take the fun out of it. And I think as I look through your book, uh, how do you think businesses take the fun out of professional and personal development? They bureaucratize it. You know, there's a there could be a set of checklists or, you know, you have to go through these X programs, et cetera. Mostly, I think they I guess it would be taking the fun out of it. But but even more than that, they miss the biggest opportunity. You know, studies have been done on who gets to be a high level leader that's widely respected. And they ask them, how did you learn what you learned to get there? And the finding is pretty consistent. 70% of what they learned, they learned through their experiences. 20% they learned through other people, either a role model they observed or someone who mentored them. And 10% they learned by being sent off to a class or reading a book, which is ironic because I'm writing a book. But I'm writing a book about how do you get the most out of that 70%. And so we miss the opportunity if we're focused on bringing people in and putting them through classes, we miss the opportunity to help them to grow the most from the experiences that they're having anyway in the organization, things we need them to be doing in the organization. We just need to attach self-growth to those experiences a little better. You know, and a lot of times I think we always have people toe the line. And that's how we find a lot of leaders that are like us, dress like us, act like us, get the vernaculars down. And that's the way a lot of corporations do it. So towing the line. Well, speaking of towing the line, I need to do that real quick and take a quick break. And I'll be right back after this message. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. C-Suite Radio. We're talking with Sue Ashford. She's just written the book, The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. And we're talking about leadership. Now, you were just making a point about how we do things, how we learn, how do we get to where we, we get to, you know, being great leaders. In your book, you cite research saying growth just doesn't happen from experience alone. You have to find meaning in those experiences. Does this mean learning happens every day and why don't we know it? Yes, I do think two people can walk through the same experience, even if it's one that has the characteristics that have been identified to teach the most and learn very different amounts. It depends on what they do in the experience. And I think you can learn from your experiences every day. But for most of us, we go through our experiences somewhat mindlessly based on habits You've probably eaten mindlessly or driven mindlessly. You get somewhere and you're like, how did I even get here? And I think some of us go through our experiences. We're focused on where we're going or where we've been, and we're not in that experience. You know, we originally 
called these this set of ideas mindful engagement. And we didn't mean meditating, but we meant just being more present to what the experience has to offer, the lessons it has to offer. And for me, particularly, it's the lesson it has to offer about you, about you as a leader, about where you could be more effective, where you are less effective for this task or these people, so that you can learn that and rope it into your style. I think that's important for us to be able to think about. And also in the book, you point out that executives spend more time performing than practicing. What do you mean and how does that hurt organizations? Yeah, this was a Jim Lore and uh, Schwartz observation that, you know, sports, you spend most of your time practicing and a little time performing, especially if, you know, you do the 50-yard dash, goes over in a second. But in business, you spend all your time performing and have no time to practice. It means that you are out there performing and there's risk involved in that. You could screw it up or be less than effective, but there's also lessons and learning in that as well, because, you know, you haven't had chance to perfect your performance. So there's places where you were less than perfect. And if you're observant about that and reflective about that, you put those on your agenda and continue to grow and keep growing your effectiveness because you're honing down those spots of imperfection. You know, I like that because I I like to say if in business, you're going to fail and you're going to fail and you're going to fail. And if you do it to fail fast and win fast, I like to say you win fast. In the book, you say we work too hard to avoid failure. Why is that a bad thing? Well, it's not. Of course, you don't want to just go out and try to fail. But it's ironic to me. I, I just did with this group I'm teaching this week an exercise where we talk about the highs and lows in your life, times when things have not gone so well. And then what did you learn from it? What are your takeaways? Their takeaways are always from the lows, not the highs. And, mm. you know, but it's just ironic that we spend all of our time trying to avoid ever having a low. We want to be on all success all the time. And of course, aim to succeed, but be watchful about the failures so that you're learning from them. And part of it is your mindset. If your mindset is one of really being overly invested in performing and proving to others how great you are, a failure means so much that's negative to you that you can't treat it as a learning experience. Whereas if your mindset is, I'm going to go out and do the best I can. I'm going to prepare the best I can, but I know that I may not be perfect and I'm going to learn from that imperfection. You can react better when you do hit a failure or a less than successful time. You're more resilient at that moment and can turn it into longer term, higher performance. Well, I know I'm going to fail, but I also know I'm going to win a lot more than I fail because that's just the nature of who I am and what I am as I hopefully as a leader. Do you find people forget their failures and forget their successes? I do. I don't always think about it because people always ask me, what's my, what's my biggest failure? I say, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. Just like, I don't know what my biggest success is going to be. Do you find other leaders who flex are like that? Yeah. I mean, usually people can remember a takeaway. And if you trail back the takeaway to its origin, oftentimes it comes from a failure. So the failure isn't on the mind, but the lesson is on their mind that they took away from it. You also talk about the importance of framing and the learning mindset when it comes to flexing. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a little bit what I just described. 
we're really trained through the the at least the U.S. school system to be performance proof. You got to be better than the person next to you in order to get into the best college, to get the best internship, to get the best job. And so people keep that mindset. I've got to prove, and I especially have to avoid failure, looking like a failure, seeming like a failure. And the problem is, yes, we all want to perform. But that mindset is very brittle when you run into hard times. Those people tend to collapse a little bit more. Works really well for simple tasks, not for complex tasks. Works well well for things you know, well-learned tasks, but not for new tasks. And then as you move up in the organization, more of your tasks are new and complex. And so that mindset, particularly the one where you're worried about avoiding failure, really gets in the way of your development. So if you can frame it as a learning experience, those people both learn more, but they also actually perform better. It's not like they are fine with failing. They don't want to fail. But that mindset, it creates kind of the desire to succeed that's very hyper motivated and gets actually in the way of ultimate long-term success. We're talking with Sue Ashford, the chair of management of organizations at the uh, group at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan. And we'll be right back after this message. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. C-Suite Radio. Talking with Sue Ashford, and she is the new author of The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. And that's coming out October the 5th, so make sure you get in line and get that. You can order it right now, I'm sure, and be able to get it right when it comes out from uh, HarperCollins. Let's talk a little bit more of, about flex goals. You, you talk about the power of flex goals. Explain to our listeners, what's a flex goal? Why is it different than a traditional goal? So a flex goal is literally just for you, but it's basically saying in, in any experience, there's a lot going on. And the goal is really a setting of an intention to focus on some element of yourself and your effectiveness while you're also getting done whatever the experience demands. If you're planning a retreat, you get the retreat plan. If you're holding a strategy meeting, you get that meeting set up and you hold it. But in that, you also could be focusing in that experience on some place where you are a little bit less than perfect. For example, you might focus on, I want to be a better listener, or I want to be more, I want to be become more approachable so that people will give me their ideas, or I want to be more influential in this meeting. And so the idea of bringing that goal is to really bring a second level of intention to the experience so that you're not just planning a retreat, but you're also using that time and that interactions to work on something about yourself. Would you typically work with a flex goal with someone else as a coach, or is this just something you do on your own? It can be both. You know, I have a chapter in the book on coaches, and there's a whole model of using the power of flexing in, in a coaching process. And the coaches spoke eloquently that I interviewed about how they use this. 
but you also can do it yourself. That's part of the flexible part of this is you can decide. So anyone not deemed high potential for leadership by their organization can decide they want to grow anyway. They want to grow their leadership. And so they pick it up and they sort of start adopting goals and trying some experiments with those goals in in their experiences they're having anyway. And then they're growing their leadership over time. There's seven practices we lay out in the book. If they follow those seven practices, they're going to get better, more self-aware and more skillful in uh, reacting in particular ways. Is there a certain type of leader that uses flexing as opposed to other types of leadership techniques that they might use? Yeah, I do think that the leaders that we talked to that resonated with these ideas the most are sort of on the more reflective end. People who have built into their life some way of reflecting on their experiences, because that I think is a requirement. More open. One of the practices, because leadership is a contact sport, it's interpersonal. It's not just you sitting in your office deciding things, it's you out there with people. So, one of the practices is seeking feedback, you know, so either by asking or just by attending, so that you know how you come across and you can make adjustments in some element that you're working on. Um, So leaders that are open and more reflective are probably going to resonate with these ideas more. People that sort of are more command and control, this may not be their best thing. Yeah, I I get that impression uh, that this is for a person who's a little bit more holistic, I would think, as a leader in terms of, and I love the word that you said, Sue, reflective, that they're a little bit more reflective in the way in which they approach approach other people and leading in a project or leading uh, leading their families, leading a church or leading wherever they're at. I think they're more in tune to getting more feedback where, you know, I've been in a lot of styles, myself included. I have to say that yeah. where I didn't do a lot of that. And yeah. I, you know, yeah. just charge ahead as a leader, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm one of those take charge kinds of people. Now, as I've gotten older, I think I've gotten better at being more reflective and saying, well, Sue, what do you think? And where might I, I get better at this? But uh, yeah. you, do you see that in terms of one type over the other? The type you first described certainly exists, and it's the type that's most romanticized in our culture historically. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you know George Patton and Take the Beach and, yeah. you know, uh, Newt Rockney and the football and all that, which, you know, I love. But I think both, you know, you said you learned it with age, but I also think we're we're entering a a different era. You know, if organizations are way more complex, command and control, where everybody thinks you got to send everything up to the guy at the top, isn't going to work work as well. Doesn't work. Yeah. Especially after COVID. I think we've learned that there's a whole different way. And and as we start to see, I've said this a couple of times on some of my most recent podcasts, we're seeing a millennial uh, workforce that, you know, over 50% of them are going to be project-based leaders, project-based workers. And in that case, you don't have command and control with that. You have a a very dispersed workforce. Yeah. You probably lost control a decade ago, Jeffrey, but, uh, you know, (laughs) but may have still gone with the style. I mean, I just think this way, these ideas about leadership really fit the times and they also fit, you mentioned COVID, you know, I think coming out of COVID and now that we're being more back in person, it's time to put growth on your agenda again, because chances are you got a little rusty while you were just doing it virtually. Um, I, and, I this, agree. and this idea also is it's tractable. 
The pandemic is so intractable. Climate change, so intractable. American politics, so, in, you know, I can't influence those, but I can make some small daily experiments that are going to help me to grow and develop on something as important as leadership. So it really feels like something people can get their hands around. So I think it's topical because of that as well. Well, I also have to imagine that feedback is a big part of this type of method, right? Mm -hmm. Feedback and feedback seeking. So being attentive to it. You know, one of my earliest research projects was on the act of a leader asking for feedback. And a lot of people had the hypothesis that leaders don't do that. It makes them look weak, makes them look uncertain, makes them look like they need other people's opinions to know where to go. And what we found in the data was exactly the opposite. The leaders that asked for feedback and seemed especially interested in negative feedback were seen as more affected by everybody, their boss, their peers, their subordinates. So it's like something we have wrong in our head. You know, what we think makes us look uncertain actually makes us look caring, like we care, we're open. And I think it creates the openness we need today in order to get the innovation we need today to happen and a variety of other things as well. Yeah, vulnerability and certainly and transparency are real critical to that in terms of leadership. And yeah. you know, and that's yeah. you hear a lot of people who say, hey, he's genuine, she's genuine. And it's that it's because they are who they are, which I think is great. Sue, one last question I gotta ask you, because you've been in academia for a while. How have the students changed over the years? Is it better or worse? I, I heard you were talking about you were working with some. I guess, older students, I might say, more experienced uh, yeah. students. But tell me, tell me the difference that you're seeing right now. More interested in meaning of what they're doing, like being involved in something that has meaning in the world and then doing jobs that have personal meaning. And the other thing I noticed was an exercise I just completed where we talked about leadership styles. And when, in the 90s, the groups were, the you know, there's four different styles and the groups were more results focused and analytic, you know, sort of like the, let's get to this result and let's go by this process. And now the groups are more sort of more creative. Let's get ideas and let's figure out more ideas. And the yellow kind of the, the touchy feely, let's make the organization a good place to work. That's been a really pronounced change over the, the decades I've taught. Well, thank you so much. We're talking with Sue Ashford. She is at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, and she's got a brand new book called The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. Make sure that you get out there and buy that book. Sue, thanks for joining us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. You know, it's about listening. You know, if you want to be a really great leader, you have to be authentic and true to yourself, walk the talk, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think you have to toe the line except for being a great person. And listening is one of those things. You can't just charge in like a bull in a china shop. You got to be a little bit more attuned to what's going on around you and to the people and what they're going through and how they're experiencing different things what they want, their own conditions of satisfaction, all of those things are all pulled together. And that was the reminder that I got from Sue and a great way to be able to do it, to be flexible, to flex your leadership. And I think that's a great way and a great lesson for all of us to learn here today. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazen. Hey, do me a favor, flex a little bit, flex out there and tell somebody to listen a little bit to the show and tune into All Business right here on C-Suite Radio. 
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.